Lakshmi, the goddess who leads to one's goal, is one of the principal goddesses in Hinduism. She is the goddess of wealth, fortune, love, beauty, joy, and prosperity, and is associated with Maya, illusion. The word money is believed to originate from Temple to Juno, on Capitoline, one of Rome's seven hills. In the ancient world, Juno was often associated with money. The Temple of Juno Moneta at Rome was the place where the mint for Rome, for ancient Rome, was located. Welcome to the Sinner Podcast, a pod where we look at the past to understand our present. This is episode 10, Money, from barter to Bitcoin, plus a deeper dive into cryptocurrencies. In under an hour, the plan is to journey through the history of money, from commodities exchanges in the good old days, right up to digital currencies on cards and phones today in 2021. After that, I will look at the evolution of cryptocurrencies and look at risks and rewards associated with them. Money was invented well before any written history. Therefore, any story on how money was first developed is based on conjecture and inference. Money is any item or verifiable record that is generally accepted as payments for goods and services and repayment of debts, including taxes. And this can depend country to country. And therefore, if you think back in time, there might not be any real written record of that money. The main functions of money are distinguished as a medium of exchange, a unit of account, a store of value, and sometimes a standard deferred payment. Any item or verifiable record that fulfills these functions can be considered money. Initially, money started off as a commodity exchange. But recently, money has become something that we call fiat money. Fiat money, like a check or a note of debt, is without use value as a physical commodity. It derives its value by being declared by a government to be legal tender. That is, it must be accepted as a form of payment within the boundaries of that country for all debts, public and private. The money supply of a country consists of currency. A currency is banknotes and coins. And depending on the particular definition used, one or more types of bank money, i.e. the money put in bank accounts and savings accounts and other types of accounts, bank money which consists of only records, i.e. the most computerized form of modern banking, forms by the and far the largest part of money in developed countries. Per my research, the use of barter-like methods may date back to at least 100,000 years ago. That said, there is no evidence of a society or economy that relied primarily on barter. Instead, non-monetary societies operated largely along the principle of a gift economy and debt. When barter did in fact occur, it was usually between either complete strangers or potential enemies. Many cultures around the world eventually developed the use of commodity money. The Mesopotamian shekel was a unit of weight and relied on the mass, up, mass of something like 160 grains of barley. The first usage of the term came from Mesopotamia around 3000 BCE. Societies in the Americas, Asia, Africa and Australia 
used something called shell money, often the shells of the cowrie. According to our favorite ancient Greek historian Herodotus, the Lydians were the first people to introduce the use of gold and silver coins. It is thought by modern scholars that these first stamped coins were minted around 650 to 600 BCE. The tally stick was a significant development. The oldest of these dates from about 30,000 years ago. The 20,000-year-old Ishango bone found near one of the sources of the Nile, not the Nile, one of the sources of the Nile, down in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, seems to use matched tallies marks on the thigh bones of a baboon for correspondence counting. Other accounting terms have been found in Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia, from more than 7,000 years ago. These ancient Mesopotamian sources really were accounting sources. It was invented to keep track of the spend. What this shows is that the money of accounts predates money in terms of coinage by several thousand years. Regarding money of exchange, the use of representative money historically predates the invention of coinage as well. For example, in the ancient empires of Egypt, Babylon, India and China, the temples and palaces often had commodity warehouses which made use of clay tokens and other material which served as evidence of a claim upon a portion of the goods stored in the warehouses. Because these tokens could be redeemed at the warehouse for that commodity that they represented, they were able to be traded in the markets as if they were commodity or given to workers as payment. There are at least two theories of what money is, and these can influence the interpretation of historical and archaeological evidence of early monetary systems. The commodity theory of money, i.e. money of exchange, is preferred by those who wish to view money as a natural outgrowth of market activity. Others view credit theory of money as more plausible and stipulate a key role for the state in establishing money. The commodity theory is actually the more commonly held view. Other theorists Note that the status of a particular form of money always depends on the status ascribed to it by humans and by society. For example, gold may be seen as valuable in one society, but not in another, or that a banknote is merely a piece of paper until it is agreed that it has some monetary value. From about 1000 BCE, money in the form of small knives and spades made of bronze was used in China during the Zhao dynasty with cast bronze replicas of cowrie shells in use well before this. The first manufactured actual coins seem to have appeared separately in India, in China and cities around the Aegean Sea around the 7th century BCE. While these Aegean coins were stamped, i.e. heated and hammered with an insignia, the Indian coins from the Ganges River Valley were punched metal discs, while the Chinese coins and from the Great Plains, were cast bronze with holes in the centre to be strung together. Paper money was introduced in the Song Dynasty of China during the 11th century. The development of the banknote began in the 7th century with local issues of paper currency. Its roots were in merchant receipts of deposit during the Tang Dynasty. As merchants and wholesalers desired to avoid the heavy bulk of copper coinage in large commercial transactions. 
the issue of credit notes is often for a limited duration and at some discount to the promised amount later. The Chinese did not replace coins during the Song Dynasty. Paper money was used alongside the coins. The central government soon observed the economic advantages of printing paper money, issuing a monopoly right of several of the deposit shops to the issuance of these certificates of deposit. By the early 12th century, the amount of banknotes issued in a single year amounted to an annual rate of 26 million strings of cash coins. In the Indian subcontinent, Sher Sarsuri, 1540 to 1545, introduced a silver coin called a rupaya, weighing about 178 grams. Its use was continued by the Mughal Empire when they came to power. The history of the rupee traces back to ancient India around the 3rd century BCE. Ancient India was one of the earliest issuers of coins in the world, alongside the Lydians, some Middle Eastern coinages, and the Chinese Wen. The term rupaya is actually Sanskrit for silver coin, from the Sanskrit rupaya, beautiful form. The imperial tanka was officially introduced by the monetary reforms of Muhammad bin Taluk, the emperor of the Delhi Sultanate, in 1329. It was modelled as representative money, a concept pioneered as paper money by the Mongols in China and Persia. The tanka was minted in copper and brass. Its value was exchanged with gold and silver reserves in the imperial treasury. The currency was introduced due to the shortage of metals. Bills of exchange became prevalent with the expansion of European trade towards the end of the Middle Ages. A flourishing Italian wholesale trade in cloth woolen clothing, wine, tin and other commodities was heavily dependent on credit for its rapid expansion. Goods were supplied to a buyer against a bill of exchange which constituted the buyer's promise to make a payment at some specified date in the future, i.e. credit, provided that the buyer was reputable or the bill was endorsed by a credible guarantor, the seller could then present the bill to a merchant banker and redeem it in money at a discounted value before it actually became due. A deposit could be made with a banker in one town. In turn, a bill of exchange was handed out that could be redeemed in another town. These bills could be used as a form of payment by the seller to make additional purchases from his own suppliers. Thus, the bills, an early form of credit, became both a medium of exchange and a medium for storage of value. Like loans made by the Egyptian grain banks of old, this trade credit became a significant source for the creation of new money. In England, bills of exchange became an important form of credit and money during the last quarter of the 18th century and the first quarter of the 19th century before banknotes, checks and cash credit lines were widely available. At around the same time in the medieval Islamic world, a rigorous monetary economy was created during the 7th to the 12th centuries, on the basis of expanding levels of circulation of a stable high-value currency, the dinar at the time. Innovations introduced by Muslim economists, traders and merchants, including one of the earliest uses of credit, checks, notes, savings accounts, transactional accounts, loaning, trusts, exchange rates, the transfer of credit and debt, as well as the banking institutions to hold them. In England, Merchants and traders had amassed huge hoards of gold and entrusted their wealth to the royal mint for storage. In 1640, King Charles I seized the private gold stored in the mint and, as a forced loan, 
which was to be repaid back over time. Thereafter, the merchants preferred to store their gold with institutions rather than with the mint. Demand deposits are funds that are deposited in a bank account and are available for withdrawal at the discretion of the depositor. Think current accounts or checking accounts. The withdrawal of funds from the account does not require contacting or making any type of prior arrangement with the bank or credit union. As long as the account balance is sufficient to cover the amount of the withdrawal and the withdrawal takes place in accordance with procedures set up in place by that financial institution, the funds may be withdrawn on demand. In the late 20th century, payment cards such as credit cards and debit cards became the dominant mode of consumer payment in the first world. The Bank AmeriCard, launched in 1958, became the first third-party credit card to acquire widespread use and be accepted in shops and stores all over the US. The development of computer technology in the second part of the 20th century allowed money to be represented digitally. By 1990, in rich countries, all money transferred between its central bank and commercial banks was in electronic form. By the 2000s, most money existed as digital currency in bank databases. In 2012, by number of transactions, 20-50% to of transactions were electronic depending on the country. The benefit of digital currency is that it allows for easier, faster and more flexible payments. In 2008, Bitcoin was proposed by an unknown author or authors under the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. It was implemented the same year, i.e. in 2008. Its use of cryptography allowed the currency to have a trustless, fungible and tamper-resistant distributed ledger called a blockchain. It became the first widely used decentralized peer-to-peer cryptocurrency. Somewhat comparable systems had been proposed since the 1980s. The protocol proposed by Nakamoto solved what is known as a double spending problem without the need of a trusted third party. Since Bitcoin's inception, thousands of other cryptocurrencies have been introduced. Before diving deeper into cryptocurrencies, I want to look at the types of money and what those terms actually mean, starting with commodity money. Many items have been used as commodity money, such as naturally scarce precious metals, conch shells, barley, beads, etc., as well as many other things that are thought of as having value. Commodity money value comes from the commodity out of which it is made. The commodity itself constitutes the money, and the money is the commodity. Representative money. In 1875, British economist William Stanley Jevons described the money used at the time as representative money. Representative money is money that consists of token coins, paper money, or other physical tokens such as certificates that can be reliably exchanged for a fixed quantity of a commodity such as gold or silver. The value of representative money stands in direct and fixed relation to the commodity that backs it, while not itself being composed of that commodity. Fiat money. Fiat money, or fiat currency, is money whose value is not derived from any intrinsic value or guarantee that it can be converted into a valuable commodity, such as gold. Instead, it has value only by government order, fiat. Usually, the government declares the fiat currency, typically notes such as coins from a central bank, to be legal tender, making it unlawful not to accept the fiat currency as a means of repayment for all debts, public and private. A bank. 
A commercial bank money is created through what they call a fractional reserve banking system. The banking practice where banks keep only a fraction of their deposits in reserve, such as cash and other highly liquid assets, and lend out the remainder while maintaining the simultaneous obligation to redeem all these deposits upon demand. If everyone starts withdrawing at once, the banks can't cope, and it is known as a run on the bank because that physical money does not exist with the bank or at that branch. Commercial bank money differs from commodity and fiat money in two ways. First, it is non-physical, as it exists and only reflected in the account ledgers of banks and other financial institutions. And secondly, there is some element of risk in that the claim will not be fulfilled if the financial institution becomes insolvent. That process of fractional reserve banking has a cumulative effect of money creation by commercial banks, as it expands the money supply beyond what it would otherwise be. Because of the prevalence of fractional reserve banking, the board money supply of most countries is a multiple of the amount of base money created by the country's central bank. That multiple, called the money multiplier, is determined by the reserve requirements or other financial ratio requirements imposed by financial regulators. What about the money supply in a country? Well, the money supply of a country is usually held to be the total amount of currency in circulation plus the total value of checking and savings deposit in the commercial banks of that country. In modern economies, relatively little of the money supply is in physical currency. That means most of the money in your country, the GDP, the stock prices, everything, is based entirely on trust. There is no physical component to it. Now let's move on to digital. The development of computer technology in the second part of the 20th century allowed money to be represented digitally. By 1990, in the Western countries, all money was transferred between central banks and the commercial banks. It was in electronic format. By the 2000s, most money existed as digital currency in bank databases. Not much innovation occurred until the conception of Bitcoin then in 2008, which introduced the concept of a cryptocurrency, a decentralized trustless currency. So what is monetary policy? Monetary policy is the policy adopted by the monetary authority of a nation to control either the interest rate payable for very short-term borrowing or the money supply, often as an attempt to reduce inflation or the interest rate to ensure price stability and general trust of the value of the currency of the country. Monetary policy is a modification of the supply of money, i.e. printing more money or decreasing the money supply by changing interest rates or removing excess reserves. This is in contrast to fiscal policy, which relies on tax, government spending and government borrowing as a method for a government to manage business cycle phenomena such as recessions. Governments and central banks have taken both regulatory and free market approaches to monetary policy. Some of the tools used to control the money supply include changing the interest rate at which the central bank loans money to the commercial banks, currency purchases or sales, increasing or lowering government borrowing, increasing or lowering government spending, manipulation of exchange rates, raising or lowering bank reserve requirements, 
regulation or prohibition of private currencies, taxation or tax breaks on imports or exports of capital into a country. As with anything, there are crimes associated with money, counterfeiting or money laundering. Counterfeit money is imitation currency produced without the legal sanction of the state or government. Producing or using counterfeit money is a form of fraud or forgery. Counterfeiting is almost as old as money itself. Money laundering. Money laundering is the illegal process of concealing the origins of money obtained illegally by passing it through complex sequences of banking transfers or commercial transactions. The overall scheme of this process returns the clean money to the launderer in an obscure and indirect way. I'm going to turn my attention for the rest of this podcast to the concept of cryptocurrencies. A cryptocurrency is a digital asset designed to work as a medium of exchange wherein an individual coin ownership records are stored in a ledger existing in a form of computerized database using strong cryptography to secure the transaction records to control the creation of additional coins and to verify the transfer of coin ownership. It typically does not exist in physical form and is typically not issued by a central governing authority. Cryptocurrencies typically use decentralized control as opposed to centralized digital currency and central banking systems. When a cryptocurrency is mined or created prior to issuance or issued by a single issuer, it is generally considered centralized. When implemented with decentralized control, each cryptocurrency works through distributed ledger technology, typically a blockchain that serves as a public financial transaction database. As mentioned earlier in the pod, the first decentralized cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, was created around 2008-2009 by Satoshi Nakamoto. It used something called SHA-256, a cryptographic hash function, in its proof-of-work scheme. In April 2011, Namecoin was created as an attempt at forming a decentralized DNS, which would make internet censorship very difficult. Soon after, in October 2011, Litecoin was released. It used script as its hash function instead of SHA-256. According to Jan Lansky, a cryptocurrency is a system that meets six conditions. One, the system does not require a central authority. Its state is maintained through distributed consensus. Two, the system keeps an overview of cryptocurrency units and their ownership. Three, the system defines whether new cryptocurrency units can be created. If new cryptocurrency units can be created, the system defines the circumstances of their origin and how to determine the ownership of these new units. Four, ownership of cryptocurrency units can be proved exclusively cryptographically. Five, the system allows transactions to be performed in which ownership of the cryptographic units are changed. A transaction statement can only be issued by an entity proving the current ownership of these units. Six, if two different instructions for changing the ownership of the same cryptographic units are simultaneously entered, the system performs at most on one of them. So what's an altcoin? Tokens, cryptocurrencies, and other types of digital assets that are not Bitcoin are collectively known as alternative cryptocurrencies, or altcoins. Altcoins often have underlying differences with Bitcoin. For example, Litecoin 
aims to process a block every 2.5 minutes rather than Bitcoin's 10 minutes, which allows Litecoin to confirm transactions faster than Bitcoin. Another example is Ether, which has a smart contract functionality that allows decentralized applications to be run on its blockchain. Ether is the most actively used blockchain in the world, according to Bloomberg News, and has the largest following of any altcoins. So what's a token? A blockchain account can provide functions other than making payments. For example, in decentralized applications or smart contracts. In this case, the units of coins are sometimes referred to as crypto tokens. Cryptocurrencies are generally generated by their own blockchain like Bitcoin and Litecoin, whereas tokens are usually issued within a smart contract running on top of a blockchain such as Ether. So what is blockchain? Blockchain is a growing list of records called blocks that are linked using cryptography. Each block contains a cryptographic hash of the previous block, a timestamp, and a transaction data, generally represented as a Merkle tree. What do people mean when they say mining? In cryptocurrency networks, mining is a validation of transactions. For this effort, successful miners obtain new cryptocurrency as a reward. The reward decreases transaction fees by creating a complementary incentive to contribute to the processing power of the network. So what is a wallet? A cryptocurrency wallet stores the public and private keys or addresses which can be used to receive and spend the cryptocurrency. With the private key, it is possible to write in the public ledger effectively spending the associated cryptocurrency. With the public key, it is possible for others to send currency to the wallet. Now let's look at the economics of cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies are used primarily outside existing banking and governmental institutions and are exchanged over the internet. Proof-of-work cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin offer block rewards incentives for miners. There has been an impact belief that whether miners are paid by block rewards or transaction fees does not affect the security of the blockchain, but a study suggests that this may not be the case under certain circumstances. Transaction fees for cryptocurrencies depend mainly on the supply of network capacity at the time versus the demand from the currency holder for a faster transaction. The currency holder can choose a specific transaction fee while network entities process transactions in order of the highest or offered fee to the lowest. Cryptocurrency exchanges can simplify the process for the currency holders by offering priority alternatives and thereby thereby determine which fee will likely cause the transaction to be processed in the requested time. Some cryptocurrencies have no transaction fees and instead rely on client-side proof-of-work as a transaction prioritization and anti-spam mechanism. Now let's look at exchanges. A crypto exchange or digital currency exchange is a business that allows customers to trade cryptocurrencies or digital currencies for other assets, such as conventional fiat money or other digital currencies. Exchanges may accept credit card payments, wire transfers or other forms of payment in exchange for digital currencies or cryptocurrencies. A cryptocurrency exchange can be a market maker that typically takes the bid-ask spreads 
as a transaction commission for its service or as a matching platform simply charges fees. Some brokerages, which also focus on other assets such as stocks like Robinhood and eToro, use let users purchase but not withdraw cryptocurrency to cryptocurrency wallets. Dedicated cryptocurrencies exchanges such as Binance and Coinbase do allow cryptocurrency withdrawals. What is the legality of all of this? That depends on your country. The legal status of Bitcoin and related crypto instruments varies substantially from state to state. It is undefined or changing in many of them. Whereas the majority of countries do not make the usage of Bitcoin itself illegal, as of February 2021 at least, its status as money or commodity varies depending on the regulatory impact of the country that it's in. Most countries have Bitcoin as legal. Certainly the big economies, it's legal. Some large economies do impose a banking ban, however, but do not ban it for private ownership. In India, as we go on air today in February 2021, is planning to ban Bitcoin and introduce its own crypto based on the Indian rupee. There is a chance that other countries keen to keep an eye on tax control and regulation follow suit. So what are the risks and rewards? Today, 2021, crypto is still a new concept, and for many, a speculation investment. Back in February 2014, the world's largest Bitcoin exchange declared bankruptcy. The company stated that it had lost nearly $473 million worth of their customers' Bitcoins, likely due to theft. This was equivalent to approximately 750,000 Bitcoins, or about 7% of all the Bitcoins in existence. The price of a Bitcoin fell from a high of 1,160 in December to 400 in January. Two members of Silk Road Task Force, a multi-agency U.S. federal task force that carried out the U.S. investigation of Silk Road, seized Bitcoins for their own use in the course of the investigation. They were later caught. On the 21st of November 2017, the Tether cryptocurrency announced they were hacked, losing $31 million worth of USD treasury from their primary wallet. In May 2018, Bitcoin Gold and two other cryptocurrencies were hit by a successful 51% hashing attack by an unknown actor, in which exchanges lost an estimated $18 million worth. In June 2018, a Korean exchange, CoinRail, was hacked, losing the equivalent of USD 37 million of altcoin. Fear surrounding the hack was blamed for a $42 billion worth cryptocurrency market sell-off. On the 9th of July 2018, the exchange Bancor had $23.5 million worth of crypto stolen. Your crypto can be stolen and taken without trace, with no legal rights to recourse. It is not like someone stole shares from you or money from your bank or credit card. There is no reserve, no one to call to fix it, no regulation, no government backup. In summary, all money is genius. It's used as a means of accounting, control, and gives us the ability to spend beyond our means to own goods and services. It's magic. All you need is the money itself. 
Money is based on just one thing, trust. Without trust, there is no money. Think about this. If you have $100, the government only printed 10 of those dollars. The bank only holds one of those dollars. If you take your $100, throw it in the stock market and see it go to $1,000, neither the bank, the government or you have the physical cash. Yet you have $990 that didn't circulate the day before. Your local grocer, banker and airline company happily take the digital payments. You nor they ever see the money. Crypto appears to me at least as a natural successor to the digital currency. Here's another example. When you go to work, your employer gives you XXX in money for your time and effort. That is a digital amount into your bank account. You do not see the physical paper money. You also do not see the gold or silver or goats or sheep or cloth in exchange. You just see numbers on a screen. Crypto, again, in this case, is a logical next step, since so many people are already okay with using digital currencies. However, remember, cryptocurrencies are not regulated by the state, and if you get hacked, then it's goodbye investment. So what might happen is countries create their own crypto, regulated, controlled, and managed by a central bank. Maybe. Or maybe this format continues. I do know that money is a mental construct based on faith of trade and exchange. If Bitcoin, Ether, and other cryptocurrencies and tokens continue to hold faith, then in 10 years, there is no question that these coins and tokens will end up being and sounding like the way you get paid and you spend. After all, you might live in the UK and trust the pound, but you also trust the Japanese yen when you're in Japan. Theoretically, you could get paid by your company that you work for in Ether tokens, and it can exchange those tokens for Netflix subscriptions, your rent, your bill. And none of that is ever seen by your government, or at least technically is never seen by your government. So two of the biggest unknowns is how a government eventually tackles crypto and how criminals interact with crypto. Remember how we started this podcast. Lakshmi, goddess who leads to one's goal, is one of the principal goddesses in Hinduism. She's the goddess of wealth, fortune, love, beauty, joy, and prosperity, and associated with maya, illusion. A technology as transformative as ether or as interesting as Bitcoin isn't an illusion. Maybe the new crypto is like investing in the internet of the early years. Do you really want to miss out? Or is this just speculation and you'd rather sit this one out? Or do you have some risk appetite and buy into the possibilities? Thank you again for listening to The Sinner Podcast, a podcast where we look at the past to understand the present. Please follow on your platform of choice and give me a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you.